Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast Series. This episode is titled Winter Black Drum Around Southport. I'm going to be talking with Captain Robert Caps of Reeland Pelican Charters out of the Southport Oak Island area. We're going to be covering location and how locations and how to find new spots. We're going to be talking about rigging and equipment. We're going to be talking bait options, and we're going to also talk about knowing the black drum bite. My name is Gary Hurley of Fisherman's Post. Fisherman's Post has been serving the saltwater fishing community of North Carolina since 2003. We've been bringing you fishing reports, fishing information, fishing tournaments, fishing schools, and here in our latest and greatest effort, the Saltwater Podcast Series, where we reach out to our captain and guide friends from up and down the North Carolina coast and ask them to share with us their thoughts, their insights on how to catch more fish more often. And in this endeavor, I am joined every week by Billy Thorpe, my podcast partner of Thorpe Creative. What's happening, Billy? No weekly fishing reports now, man. We are in the realm of podcasts, full-length feature film. I know, man. It's different. It's different to sit in the podcast chair uh, versus the, well, just me recording the uh, <laughs> the other reports. Yeah. But uh, I know Robert's part of those reports, man, and he's going to bring the heat tonight uh, or, or during this recording. So I'm pretty excited to learn all the tips and tricks about Black Trump. So it's going to be good. It's going to be a good one, man. He's he, he knows what he's doing. So I'm excited for people to to learn and me, for me to learn too. So that one time a year I go fishing, I can apply what I learned. Yeah. Show. I'm just, uh, I'm just in here all the time, just pushing buttons, recording content, and Gary's out having all the fun on on captain's boats and fishing. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I feel Somebody no pressure me. to retain any of this information because I'm just going to get on a boat with him and say, what do I do? I know. Let's I'm about to send a up drum. a flare right now. I'm about to send up a flare so he can rescue me. I'm just messing. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. So, well, I'm excited, uh, excited for that and, and excited to... Uh, have our sponsors of the show making it possible. So we got Marine Warehouse Center, we got SRD20.com. So let's talk about SRD20.com. This is all for your boating cleaning needs here. So they've sent us over some products, some waterless uh, wax or washing wax and some graphene uh, spray as well here. So I know, Gary, you don't maybe clean your boat. Maybe you got your boys cleaning it. I don't know, but <laughs> but I'm excited for you to have this product. Either way, either way. <laughs> There we go. If I push the right buttons, there we go. <laughs> um, I do clean my boat. My kids do not clean my boat. I don't know. I have them cutting the grass and doing some yard work, but we haven't transitioned to the boat. But yeah, man, I'm excited about this product. Again, you know, you start making, for me as a boat owner, making notes about what you're going to do different the next year or what you want to fix up on the boat over the winter to get ready for a whole new season. You know, want everything to be right or as close to right as possible. And I am not one to wax the boat too much work, too much time. I'm not just not going to do it. I'm going to go bleach wash. But now SRD 20 is giving me this graphene option. So I'm going to take it, man. They, they bill it as less work, you know, longer lasting. And so those two variables are having me say, all right, SRD 20, we're going graphene next year. Yeah. Yeah, man. Long, l less work and longer lasting. That is the dream of every boat owner. I guess, like, I don't, yeah. I don't need to work on this thing anymore. Um, so yeah, man. And speaking of boats, and speaking of owning a boat, if you don't, you need to get head over to Marine Warehouse and buy a one or two, buy two boats, might as well. The holidays are coming up, so you can give that as a gift to your loved one. I got a quick message from those guys. We'll be right back. At Marine Warehouse, we have everything for trailer, trailer parts, engines, engine parts, new boats, boat parts, a full store. We have a service department. 
We are your one-stop shop for marine equipment and hardware. We offer a wide variety of parts and accessories for all your marine needs. The best part about working at Marine Warehouse Center is to help customers really get the most out of their coastal lifestyle and share our love for the water. At Marine Warehouse, we're here to get you out on the water because of our love for the water. We like being out there and we want you out there with us. Yeah, there you go, man. Yeah. They're my guys, man. They uh, just helped me solve a problem. I need a new hatch. Like, I've got an older boat, older Sea Chaser, Carolina Skiff product, and they found me a replacement hatch, man. They went, they had to do some research, but that's what they do, man. They're good at digging up and finding those parts, man. You know, they're also doing sales and service, but in this case, I'll take that detective work, you know, finding the hard-to-find part, man. Good for them. Well, Gary... We can take care of that old boat problem for you, man. Let me know if you need some help picking one out. You know, I don't need any help. I, got, that's not the part I need help with. You just tell Leslie. I think they, the podcast. They, they gave it to me. They gave it to me. That's what you tell Leslie. You just lie. They gave it to. It's part of the podcast deal. I swear. The podcast bought me a boat. Oh, that hundred plus k missing out of the bank account. Don't worry about it. All right, investing. I'm invested in Bitcoin. It's good. We're gonna make it. Well, speaking of. Emmett's love for being on the water. Um, we have a little segment on the show here called Where in the World is Emmett, where people are capturing photos of Emmett out in the wild. And Gary, I got a, got a hint for you. I got a couple hints for you. I'll give you the All one right. hint. He is on the water, but it's in a different form in this picture. Can you guess what he is doing? Kiteboarding. Nope. I should say the water is in different form. I should say that. Oh, he's ice skating. You, yeah, you're exactly right. So let me go ahead and pull up this. Not only he's taking some <laughs> random girl ice, some little random little kid ice skating. Man, you can get arrested for that, Emmett. No, he's like in the Big Brother program, Gary. Come on, man. He's out there doing the good charity work in the community, <laughs> taking little kids ice fishing. Um, that kid may have been holding her mother's hand, but that looked weird, so I cut her out. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway. Well, good for Emmett. I'm glad he's getting around. He is he always on the water, solid or not solid. He's always on the water. So appreciate That's the great. Green Warehouse. I don't know what sponsor says. Yeah, we'll keep sponsoring the show. Make fun of us some more. We like it, but they do. <laughs> so I know Lil likes it. She sends us emails on occasion saying, "Hey, that was that was a good one." <laughs> so anyway, where else are we at, Gary? You want to see a fishing photo? Love to. All right, here we go. We got we got Christian Cook with an 18-inch red drum and a 16-inch black drum that hit pieces of squid in the Lockwood Folly Inlet. And, Gary, that actually may be a 16-inch black drum, but the format of the photo I had to chop off the nose a little bit. So don't give that kid That's a hard right. time. Don't I don't think that time. black drum's feeling much anymore. <laughs> no. Good for that kid. That's a real smile, man. I He's like feeling kid that kid with a real smile, double-fisted with, double with drum. Good for him. Yeah, man. Good for him. And send in your fish photos to Fisherman's Post. They use them for everything. So Gary hangs everyone up on his wall as well. It's not just in the paper. <laughs> that would it's be something. It's got a wall. His wife loves it right in the living room. <laughs> the the retirement. Maybe, maybe when it comes time for the retirement party, we make a wall. But there is no wall right now. Dude, I don't know if you have a wall big enough for all the photos no. you guys got over the years. Dude, I wouldn't even want to guess at how many fish photos. I couldn't even process. I'm an English teacher. I can't process that math. You can't do math. All right. That's funny, man. 
Well, do you want to talk about fishing reports? I know we got some special stuff going on throughout the the winter months. Do you want to touch on that or or not at all? Yeah, man, I'll I'll speak quick. I uh, the thought process you just saw me going through was re- trying to figure out when this was going to be released, and I think this is released after we transition out of weekly. So we've been doing weekly fishing reports from April through October. April through October weekly fishing reports. Now, November to March, we do bi-weekly reports. We also have live events where only those that are members can check in. They can ask our question, our captain's questions. They can get answers to the questions they wanted to ask directly if I haven't been asking the right questions. So while it just doesn't make sense to keep up weekly reports year round, we are certainly trying to provide value for our weekly fishing report customers in the form of bi-weekly reports and special special access live events. You can find out more at fishermanspost.com member content. Excellent. There we go. I'll, I'll unmute in a second. Um, yeah, man, a lot of fun over there. Having a lot of fun, all these captains and guides uh, helping us out and giving all the great information. So excited for those those live virtual events for people to jump in there and help you out, Gary, because, you yeah. know, you just need some help, man. You ask a lot of questions every week, so people need to uh, Yeah, help I want other people to ask questions. <laughs> and then I just make bad jokes. That's that's the yeah, dream. That's the part of it. Yeah, and if you can't, I can definitely come up and make some bad jokes. Our audience loves those. They let us know sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I'm going to come back to you, as I always do, for Billy's Best Takeaway. Again, that's Billy's Best Takeaway at the conclusion of my conversation with Captain Robert Capps. But right now, yes, it's my pleasure to welcome. First time, we've had a long relationship with Robert. Um, we've just never had him on the podcast before. So a pleasure to have you. Captain Robert Caps, Real and Pelican, man. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. How's it going today, Gary? Man, we're doing good. We're excited to be doing podcasts. It is, you know, just a creative itch. We've enjoyed scratching and they've been well received. And I think our topic here, Black Drum, is going to be one of those well-received topics, as I'm sure you've noted. People are transitioning to Black Drum with the limitations as they are on Flounder. And we'll get to talking to Black Drum, but before we do it, there's a tradition here on the podcast. you got to answer two questions. So, Robert, you tell me you're ready for question number one. I'll give you question number one. Ready for question number one. Question number one, Robert Caps. Why should we listen to anything you have to say about a black drum? Why should we continue? I have been an inshore guide in the area for the past seven years. Uh, I've been fishing this area since I was 11 years old. My dad got me a john boat and said it was cheaper than summer camp to drop me off in the water in the morning and pick me up at the end of the day. Uh, Black drum's always been one of my favorite inshore fish to eat, and I've gotten pretty proficient at catching them. Man, that is a on-point answer. You easily move through question number one, which brings us to question two, as the tradition goes, is a non-fishing-related question. I actually have a two-part, and like I told you in pre-show, I'm a little disappointed at my creativity. I got one question about reeling, and I got one question about pelican. You ready for the first? All right, let's hear it. You're younger, younger than me, younger than Billy. Do you remember who made the song who sang the song reeling in the years i do not steely dan i didn't think you would i i mean again i wasn't impressed with my questions so let's go to pelicans what professional sports team is named the pelicans uh the basketball team the yes from 
Louisiana, I believe. Yeah, man, New, New Orleans. Orleans. Uh, ding, ding, ding. I'm counting New Louisiana. It is the New Orleans Pelicans NBA team. Congratulations, Fisherman Robert Caps. You have other skills. You have other knowledge. But, man, let's talk black drum. And your first point is one that I do not want to move through quickly at all because I think it is perhaps key to success, you know, often key to success with any fishery, really. And it is location, locations and finding spots. So, again, without moving too quickly, man, let's go into locations and finding spots. I saw some of your notes. Man, I know you've given this some thought. Start us off, help people out. And, and before we move forward, let's preface it with, you know, this is being released in November. So for right now, let's keep the conversation focused on that f late fall, fall, winter fishery when we start talking about locations. How about that? Okay, that works. All right, so when it comes to finding locations, whether it be in the creek or in the river, I've always found it very uh, helpful to me to go and explore the areas at low tide. At low tide, you're able to see all those hard structures, be it oyster beds, stumps, uh, things that would be covered up at higher tides. You're also able to figure out where the deep hole is in relation to those hard structures. Um, and that all is very important. You're going to want to note those things down. So say you have found a oyster bed up against a bank where all the oysters seem to be dead, uh, more just shells at this point in time. And there seems to be a good current rip along that uh, where you've got softer moving water up against faster moving water. That's a good spot to look at, you know, uh, especially if it has a deep hole tied into it. You're able to take that and if you can find multiple spots that have the same structure layout, like, I, like uh, you know, the oyster beds being dead or the oyster beds being alive with a deep hole beside it, uh, different docks that have good growth on them or docks that have a deep hole underneath them, uh, rock structures that have hard drop-offs, uh, good growth, lots of oysters and barnacles and things like that. Those are all things that will give your black drum a good place to live. Uh, a black drum is a fish that moves quite a bit. You know, you might find that same fish in the same hole three or four times in a row, but come the fifth time, they're, they're going to have moved or they could have moved day to day. So it's important to have quite a few spots that you can try uh, not only not just like one spot okay i've already i've already got multiple questions for you and all right and we're gonna keep again often i like to keep it simple you know imagine my audience and imagine their questions so how do we tell how does the casual angler tell a difference between a live oyster bed and a dead oyster bed uh, dead oyster bed are usually shells just laying against each other and on top of each other. Uh, live oysters usually have the oysters pointing up, uh, where they can typically be in clusters and things like that. Your dead oysters are just going to be a pile of shells together, not like closed up and not looking like the ones you're going to get at the restaurants. Do you prefer live or dead oyster beds if you had to choose? when black drum fishing? It varies day to day, but typically I'm going to find them on the dead oyster banks. And any idea why that might be so? Any theory as to why 
more apt to find them on dead oyster bar bank beds? Um, not really. They move a lot. I mean, you could get them on the dead oyster banks one day and the very next day they, they all be on the live oyster banks. It's really going to depend on where the bait is congregating. Uh, I've tend, I've tend to notice, you know, you get more of your live shrimp and stuff like that up against the dead oysters than you do the live oysters. And I'm not sure why, but when the fish are feeding on those shrimp, that's where you're going to want to fish is near where the bait is. All right. And as far as like an ideal oyster bed, is that one that is above the waterline at low tide, almost above the waterline at low tide? Like, do you have preferences there and like how deep at high tide? I mean, how, how much of this have, you know, would play into your ideal spot or again, what we should look for? Cause there's plenty of oyster beds out there. And I, I love your detail about softer water and harder water and, you know, a, a hole nearby. And we'll talk about that next, but I still want to get a feel for what exactly constitutes the best oyster bed to start. I mean, again, anything can change on a given day, but given your preference. So my preference usually rolls towards an oyster bank that is touching up against grass or is near a pretty deep channel. Uh, a deep channel could be anything from where you're going across a flat in two to three feet of water and all of a sudden it drops into five feet for a little channel to run through uh, where that channel then butts up to the oyster bank that's butting up to the grass. Uh, I tend to find most of my black drum in that deep hole, not actually on the oysters themselves. And so you would want the deep hole or the channel within 10 feet of the oyster bed, within five feet of the oyster bed, or it doesn't have to be well, that scientific? It's usually not that scientific. Um, and if you ever take the time to put your boat up close to an oyster bed, which is a lot less nerve wracking in a metal boat than it is a fiberglass boat, um, you'll notice that there's usually a pretty solid drop off up against those oysters. Uh, now when I'm targeting reds, I'm usually throwing my bait up on top of those oysters. But when I'm targeting black drum, I like to, if I throw it on top of the oysters, then drag it off of the oysters until I get to a more of a smooth bottom. Uh, and that's usually where I end up having better luck. Okay. Um, now, as far as not oyster beds, but talking about docks, as far as hard structure, it's, it's similar to sheep's head where you like a dock with growth, you like a dock with deeper water or even a drop off. Is that what I remember you describing? Yes, that's correct. Uh, I really like to find an area where there might be a drop off right up against that dock. And that's going to be your prime piling to fish is the one that has the drop off not really the area that's just flat around it. Um, it gives a second source of structure and usually there is a little bit different current pushing through that drop off edge than there is, you know, on the high side of that ledge or the low side of that ledge. All right. So let's, um, I'm wondering about targeting these areas and maybe we'll get to that after we go over some gear. So maybe that's what we do. We talk about some gear, some rigs and bait, and then once we're armed, then I'm going to come, I'm going to bring you back to these oyster beds and these docks and get your thoughts on how to approach them. How's that sound? That works for me. All right. So let's talk about gear. What do we have? Rigging and equipment, man. Let's start with rod and reel, and then let's go to terminal tackle. All right. Uh, the rod and reels that I use on almost all of my charters are, uh, 
Shimano, Sparrows, 3000s. Uh, you can get away with a 4000 as well. I usually don't like to go much lighter than that, just in case you hook a big fish that pulls some drag on you. Uh, I usually run 30-pound braided line for my line on there. Personally, I feel like the braid gives you a much better feel for that fish because it goes straight through the water versus monofilament, which has bend in the water. And you're a little bit delayed on that bite with the monofilament versus the braid. Now, the downside to the braid is that it's not very abrasive resistant. And if that fish goes to drag you across those oysters, he could take out your rig and you could lose them. Uh, one of the ways that I've learned to kind of get past that is to do a tie-in knot. Uh, simple double uni knot usually does the trick to another 30-pound fluorocarbon. Uh, run four or five feet of that before tying in my Carolina rig. My lead, I usually vary from about three quarters of an ounce to an ounce and a half of lead, depending on the depth that I'm fishing and the current speed that I'm working with. Uh, I like for my bait to kind of sit a little more stagnant when I'm drum fishing. Uh, I like to get it down there and I don't want it kind of just blowing all over the place. That fish will come to that bait if you're in the right spot. Uh, personally, I always use fluorocarbon over, uh, monofilament on my leader material. It's a little clearer in the water. No, it doesn't have the stretch, but it is much clearer in the water and seems to really help me out, uh, in catching fish. Now, this might not be how other people do it, but I am a big fan of the circle hooks. Uh, now, I don't use the inline circle hooks. I like the offset circle hooks, such as the Owner Mewtwo light circle hook and either a 2-alt or a 3-alt or the Gamakatsu Nautilus circle hook. Uh, those are good offset circle hooks, and it seems to really help with my hookup ratio. Okay, that was going to be my question. Why, did you, why do you prefer the circle hook? So that's because just better hookups is as simple as answer as the, that. Main reason I prefer the uh, circle hook to a J hook is a lot of the people that fish with me are new to saltwater fishing uh, or don't do a whole lot of fishing. And I get a lot of kids on board. And the circle hooks seem to be a lot easier for those people. You can even set the rod in a rod holder. And if that fish eats that bait and pulls the line tight, he's going to be hooked right in the corner of his mouth. Now, one of the things that's really important to remember when using a circle hook is crank don't yank if you go to yank the hook yank and set the hook with a circle hook you're going to pull that hook right out of that fish's mouth almost every single time if you just start and give it a couple of cranks until the line is tight and then lift your rod it will set the hook almost every time right in the corner of his mouth um what's the length what's the typical length of a carolina rig leader when you're black drum fishing between 12 and 18 inches between 12 and 18 inches. All right. And I mean, I personally, I like to snell my hook on. Um, for some reason, it seemed to increase my hookup ratio. I'm not sure if that's just because of the way the circle hook lays on the rig with it being snelled, opposed to it being tied on with a, you know, uni knot or a Palomar knot. Um, the snell seems to work a lot better for me. All right. Well, what about bait, man? What are we, what are you putting on the end of this Carolina rig? You know, again, and, and here, I know I said, let's talk about fall, late fall. And I still want to follow that theme, 
But then after we talk about fall, late fall, I want to please tell me about how your bait choices change in, say, the summertime. Okay. Uh, fall and late fall, you're going to be mainly using shrimp, dead shrimp, live shrimp. Um, you can also use like blue crab, break it up into pieces. I've even caught them off just like a single leg of the blue crab. Uh, mud crabs are one of my personal favorite baits, even if they're the hardest bait to get for them because you can go the rocks and turn those oysters and grab them. Um, it takes putting the time into it to having those baits. Uh, now, one thing that I've noticed is that you're going to want to use multiple baits during a day. You could have live shrimp, dead shrimp, and crabs, and they could only want to feed on the crabs that day, or they could only want to feed on the dead shrimp that day, or the live shrimp. You really, you know, you don't know until you try the different options out. My most tried and true bait is probably just a whole head-on dead shrimp. Uh, I hook him just a single time in the middle of his back so that he's kind of in the curved position and the hook goes right at the back. Um, you know, you're going to get all kinds of little fish sometimes that'll be picking your shrimp off and don't let that discourage you. Put a little bit of time into that hole and make sure that you're waiting for the right bite, which we'll get to a little later. All right. So as far as hooking a live shrimp for the purposes of bottom fishing for black drum, um, how does that differ from the old treble hook through the crown when you're floating live shrimp under a bobber for trout? Uh, there's two ways that I know to hook a live shrimp. You can either hook him in the horn uh, in between the two black dots on his head. Works the same with a circle hook as it does with your treble hook when you're fishing for a trout. Uh, personally, I like hooking him in the tail though. Uh, tail hooking him from the bottom, it really hides that hook well in that shrimp. And uh, if you lay that shrimp's tail right over top of that hook, they really can't even see it when they come in to attack. All right. Um, now I'm going to go through the baits. Now, same question with the blue crab. I know you said you can catch them on just a leg, but I'm guessing you're like quartering or doing something else with the crab more often. You, and, and what does that look like? Uh, usually I do quarter them. Um, my way of doing that is to remove the claws, remove the top shell, and then cut them into pieces. You can also leave the top shell on if you've got some pretty serious uh, bait shears where you can cut them. Uh, but most people don't carry pretty serious bait shears, so that it's easier to remove the top of them and then cut them into pieces. Now, when using a blue crab, you have to pay attention to that crab because your pinfish, your croaker, your pigfish, all the junk fish that you're not trying to catch will come through and pick all the meat out of that crab, and once the meat's gone, that bait is no longer good. And how do you hook a crab, a piece of crab? I usually go near the joint or the knuckle, um, start on the hard side of the shell and make sure I get the hook all the way through it. All right. And then what about, I think I'll finish my bait question line with mud crabs because it seemed like you were a fond of those. Um, mud crabs, I usually use whole. Uh, I usually hook them center of the back, starting from the bottom or in the side, depending on the size of that crab. Uh, most of the time, most of the time, uh, I will go in the back of that crab though, and that seems to be really well. Now, 
when I use crabs, I usually don't use a Carolina rig. Uh, I go with much more of like a bottom sweeper style jig head, which is just a weighted jig head with a short shank J hook. I know I've said I prefer the circle hooks, and I do, but the crabs can get stolen from you very easily. Because when you've got the crab on there, you're also targeting sheep's head. And it's a lot easier to feel the bite of that sheep's head on a jig head than it is on a Carolina rig. So I've noticed. All right. So with this podcast being released in November and someone wants to listen to you and go out and try it in November, how prevalent, uh, I mean, I guess I'm asking you in the Southport Oak Island area where you're most familiar, how prevalent are bait stealers in November? Are they still very much a factor? Or only kind of a factor or not a factor? They're only kind of a factor in November. I mean, we're going to have our croakers. We're going to have our pinfish. They they kind of stay through most of the year. Um, you know, even in the wintertime when you're trying to catch trout, you'll get some pinfish come through and tear up your shrimp. Uh, they will do the same thing when you're black drum fishing. All right. And then I want to stay on fall, but let's do a quick a quick redirect. How does the bait conversation change if it changes at all if we're talking summertime? Uh, summertime, you're really going to use a lot of fiddler crabs when you're looking for black drum. It's when they're the most uh, prevalent in our area. And like I said before, you want to use the bait that those fish are eating naturally. So when there's a lot of fiddler crabs moving around in the grasses and stuff, that's going to be what those black drum are feeding on. When there's a lot of shrimp in the area, that's going to be what they're feeding on. All right, so we are going to talk about feeling the black drum bite, but before we have the enjoyment of feeling the black drum bite, we have to put ourselves in a position to get that bite. So now I'm, I'm on your boat and we're pulling it up to an oyster bed that's on the grass line that has some deep water nearby. How are you setting up on that, you know, and then how are you fishing it? So I set up for black drum fishing, uh, in a way that my boat is up current from the fishing hole that I would like to fish because I want that current to help keep my line tight so that I'm able to feel the bite better. If you're throwing up like from the side of your boat up to the grass or up to the oyster bed that way, that bait has the chance to roll down and you may miss the bite, you know, quite a few times. If that current is sitting there holding your bait tight, you're going to feel every little nibble that you're going to get. Um, it really improved the amount of fish I was catching when I started setting up up current from the spot I was trying to fish opposed to beside it. And are you anchored or are you trolling motor anchored? I'm a huge fan of my trolling motor. Uh, I've even got the alternator charger on it. I don't think I've plugged it in since August and it still runs strong every day for the entire duration of however many trips I end up running. All right, if you're up current of this sweet oyster bed that you think is going to produce, you don't want to get closer than what? You know, that varies, and it's all dependent on how far the people can cast that are with me. Um, I don't want to be any closer than about 10 or 15 feet, but I usually try to set up about 20 to 25 feet off the bed, um, kind of stay off of it a little bit. I usually don't come in with my big motor roaring. I usually kind of sneak into it. I don't want to spook them as I'm pulling up. You know, some people are worried about that. Other people are not. Uh, you know, if the fish are there and they're hungry, they're going to eat no matter what you do. 
All right, and so we're in position and we've got a grass line, we've got an oyster bed that's connected to the grass line, we've got, you know, moving water and we've got deep water nearby. And if you're, you know, if you're putting out a small spread of lines that are gonna sit, we're, let's just say we're rod holder fishing, where are you placing say three rods to cover that area? Let's start with that question. So the first bait I'm gonna put is gonna be say the starboard side of my boat is closest to the oyster bed. Um, so that back starboard rod holder is going to be my closest rod to the boat, and it's going to be up in that shallower part of the structure, uh, kind of in front of the oyster bed, right near the boat. Your second line is going to be about midsection of that oyster bed, but to the side of it, hopefully in the deep hole that's beside it, and your third one is going to be a little farther, but in that same line as your second bait was. Um, but you want to be on the back side of that bed. Once you figure out where those fish are feeding, they're going to feed in that same area. So if you catch your fish off the front one, you want to continue to put baits into that area. If you're catching your fish off of the back one, you want to continue to put baits in that area. Um, fish are creatures of habit. So when they start feeding, a certain way that's how you want to continue to target them and i think from an earlier comment you told us that you're not putting the baits on the oyster bed you want it on the smooth sand or, or sandy bottom around the oyster yep. bed is do i remember correctly that is correct i like to kind of put mine right up next to the oyster bread you know you've got that contour line where it goes down and then it meets the bottom where it meets is usually where those fish like to feed is what I've noticed at least. Okay. And before we move on to the bite, you know, and I know you've been talking about moving water, but how dependent is tide on this bite? And do you have a preferred tide? Um, you know, last summer I would have told you it was all about the rising tide. This summer I've caught them pretty equally, uh, rising tide or falling tide it really depends on the type of structure fishing so typically on a rising tide i'm going to be fishing the uh oyster beds near like grass and things like that um and when the tides fall in is when i'm trying those harder structures such as docks and uh rocks and things like that now I do want to add that reading your current and your current rips has a lot to do with you catching fish. If you pay attention to when the current is falling around an oyster bed, there's usually a soft side current, which is where that current is forming an eddy and swirling around the back side of that oyster bed in the current. You always want to make sure you've got a bait there. Um, what that does naturally is it takes the bait that's running through the current and will pull it into that eddy and gives a good strike zone for the fish. Now that doesn't mean that your black drum are always going to come from that soft water. Typically I catch mine in a little bit faster moving water. Okay. Um, are you suggesting that if I'm up current, if we're anchored up current, am I casting over the oyster bed to get into that eddy? Is that, uh, can I pull that it, off with braid and oysters? So it, it, you can if you set up at like a 45 degree angle so that you're just caught casting across the back corner of it, not across the whole thing. Um, so 
say that you've got the oyster bed sitting right here and you set up to a 45 back here on it, you're able to throw across it that way to land it into that eddy. Okay. Man, uh, I think you've given me some confidence about how to set up on this oyster bed. So now talk to me about the bite. Uh, a black drum bite is very unique. Uh, I really don't know of any other fish that bites like it because half the time the black drum bites, most people don't even know he's on there because he's going to very gently pick up that bait. Typically, they're going to go with the current and pull away from you. When you start to feel him pull, just give it a couple cranks with that circle hook on there and it will put it in the corner of his mouth. I personally always keep my finger on the line when I'm holding the rod because it is a very gentle bite and sometimes they could go swim into the side. So, you know, pay attention to your line, watch it in the water, uh, things like that, because that fish, when he grabs it, is going to kind of move from where he picked it up to eat it. And if I'm getting pecks, I just let it lie. Yes and no. Uh, if you're just getting pecks, you can either pull it away from that fish or you can let it eat the whole bait and try to cut it up and use it as a cut bait for a red drum. Um, your black drum bite is going to be very unique, though. You know, you'll go from getting peck, 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 peck to all of a sudden one cast, your rod just slowly starts to pull away from you. And when it does, that's, uh, that's the bite that you're looking for. And so comparing a black drum to a flounder, and I'm not sure I even understand, you know, the flounder habits, but like if they're picking up the bait and moving away with it, have they already committed to the bait when they pick it up and move off with it? Or are they like you, I mean, I'm not sure if you just said that moving away with it and then so, they're going to eat it. Do I want to wait for them to stop or when they're moving, that's showtime. Typically when they're moving because, you know, you're using a crab or you're using a shrimp, it's not like a minnow. Um, they've usually already got the hook in their mouth, pretty close at least. Um, you know, with a flounder, that flounder usually likes to bite it uh, in the tail, play with it a little bit, roll it around, eat it head first, or suck the whole thing down from the back. Uh, but that flounder plays with that bait much more so than a drum does. Uh, I consider a drum kind of like the garbage man of the sea. They're scavengers. They're coming through, eating what they can. And usually when a drum bites, it's going to go ahead and suck it down like into their mouth and then swim away to finish swallowing it. Okay. Hey, uh, I, I think that was a good conversation. I want to cover a couple more spots before we say goodbye. And it would be going back to the setup question. All right, I'm on your boat. It's fall, late fall, and you have a dock you want to try. What do I expect? You pull up to the dock, and what's your strategy for setting up? So I'm going to set up up current of the dock. I'm going to use my GPS to find that drop-off up against the dock, and we're going to fish that drop-off. But we're going to be set up up current so that we're casting towards the dock, and the current's going to hold our bait in place up against that dock. Now, an important thing to remember when you're fishing docks is you're going to need to run a little tighter drag than you would expect to typically run. That fish's goal is to get you in the dock pylons and break you off. Your goal is to get him out from under that dock before he can break you off. So 
you gotta gotta have it a little tighter than you would expect. It's part of the reason why I run thirty pound instead of twenty pound, um, is so that I can add a little more heat to those reels. And as far as like a three line spread, how are you gonna play that dock? Uh, one on the high side, one on the ledge, and one on the low side. But everything's gonna be at the pilings or underneath the dock. All right. Now, same question, and now I'm coming off of this question by looking at your notes. Um, are you successful out in the ocean hooking black drum? I see ocean reefs and ocean wrecks. Is, is, am I reading that correctly? You are. Um, certain times of the year, uh, typically in the late fall and in the early spring, you're able to get onto good schools of black drum as they're leaving the river or as they're coming back into the river in the spring. Those fish all kind of congregate out at the reef and at the hard wrecks prior to coming in and finding their homes in the river. Uh, typically, when I'm fishing a reef or something like that, uh, with shrimp, which is usually my go-to bait for a black drum, it's just a whole head-on dead shrimp. I'm using an ounce to an ounce and a half egg sinker, depending on the depth. Um, I mean, I've gotten really good schools of fish and. 35 feet of water before and I've also gotten in really good schools of fish in 10 or 12 feet of water so they really like the hard structure uh, some days you find those schools though when you're out on the reef just beside the structure not exactly on it you know so if you find a good piece of structure that you want to fish make sure you fish all the corners of that structure and then kind of fish the sand around it a little bit because they won't always be tucked up into that structure Robert, I think we have successfully had a black drum conversation. I think we've covered a lot of ground, um, but before we say goodbye, I always like to give sort of like a generic closing question in the form of, man, anything else out there that you'd like to communicate to our audience about black drum fishing, cooking, I mean, catching black drum, anything that you thought we might talk about, but maybe the conversation just didn't go that direction. Um, black drum is, really one of the only fish that you can keep a lot of nowadays. You're allowed to have 10 per person uh, between 14 and 25 inches and one over that 25 inch mark. That counts towards your 10 though. Uh, but that's about the only inshore fish that's a good sport fish that's edible that you can keep quite a few of. Uh, sheep's head's the other one that you can keep quite a few of. But the black drum, it's a good fighting fish. They're delicious. Uh, We've always joked and called them the poor man's grouper because it's a grouper quality meat that you can find in the backwater. Um, all right, I lied. I'm going to ask you one more question. Give me one of your favorite black drum recipes or, or way to prepare it. Just one and not your most favorite, just one of your favorites. Um, you know, I, I kind of followed the people down in Louisiana a little bit and the way they did their red drum, which was called drum on the half shell where you lay out the drum, leave the skin and scales still intact, debone the filet, uh, and your skin and scales side will go directly down on the grill. It adds for a great little protective barrier from the fire and the grill, and it holds in all those juices. Uh, my seasoning of choice is usually Old Bay. Uh, I usually put a small piece of butter in the like stomach cavity area of that filet, like on the skin and scales there where you've removed the bones. And I'll put thin slices of lemon across the top to kind of add a little citrus zest. 
Man, what a great answer. I think that's a great way to end our conversation. And again, Captain Robert Capps, Reeland Pelican Charters out of South Port Oak Island. Man, thank you so much. We've thoroughly enjoyed talking Black Drum with you. You did not disappoint, full of specifics. I can't imagine our audience isn't appreciative. Awesome. All right, Robert. Thank you, man. Yes, sir. Billy. Right. That's a show right there, Gary. Yeah, man. He's business. Like, yeah, yeah, no, no attention uh, to detail right there. Communicating details, business. Yeah, man. If you don't know how to go feel confident about catching a black drum after that episode, then then just come on over here in the studio and I'll just put you to work because that's where I'll be <laughs> instead of black drum fishing. I, I do, I do like that. He said the poor man's grouper. I thought that was pretty funny. I'm like, I might have to remember that one. <laughs> that's pretty, yeah, funny. that's pretty good. I think I've actually heard Robert say that before. Um, man, a lot of good takeaways from this show. Uh, you know, one takeaway, I didn't know New Orleans had an NBA team. I was super surprised, but I had no idea. So that I learned something new every day. Um, and then I, I was all, you know, I've always been curious about fishing oyster beds. So I'm glad you guys talked about that. Cause I always hear people say that, but then I'm the guides like, okay, well, let me throw it in there. And then I'm like, what the hell? This is all stuck. Like, how am I supposed to fish this? You know, so fishing on the edge, meeting those two spots where they meet. Now that I've heard it, sounds like common sense, but definitely did not fish that way. So maybe a, maybe not the greatest takeaway for the rest of our audience, but if you're like me and you fish on top of the oyster bed, then here you go. A little basics. No, man, I think it's a good clarification he made is that your bait doesn't have to be on the oyster bed. In fact, you know, likes the area where it meets or even a little bit off. I mean, I think that's helpful for a lot of people watching, listening, is to not, you don't have to bomb the bed. You can target around the bed and then your life is simpler and you might be catching fish better. Yeah. Well, that, yeah, that was my biggest takeaway from that. So in, in the, uh, in the, the New Orleans NBA team, I, yeah, once again, Pelicans. And for some well, reason, good. when you said Pelicans, I thought you said Penguins. I'm like, this makes zero sense at all. I'm calling bull crap. And then when I looked it up, I'm like, oh, a Pelican. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. So at first I thought you said Penguin. I'm like, this is a lie. Like Gary, there's no New Orleans Penguins. Gary is like trolling all of the internet right now saying there's Penguins in New Orleans. <laughs> like, what the heck? Maybe at the zoo. <laughs> anyway all right man we'll appreciate it appreciate our sponsors once again marine warehouse center and srd20.com go check those guys out support them where you can and when you can because they make the show possible and go check out our our stuff on the fishing reports and then uh last call to action send in your fish photos you know winter time here is some of the best fishing so be sure that fisherman's post gets uh gets a glance at them and we'll use them here on the show anyway. billy it's been a pleasure yeah man we'll see you in the next one gary thanks Fisherman